Bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, it is good to be here in this place. Lord, we thank you so much for answered prayer. Lord, we're thankful that um, we get to come before you and lift up our needs, Lord, to celebrate um, the good things. And, and Lord, just as we sang, you um, sustain us through the storm. And Lord, there are people facing a storm right now. And Lord, we know that our hope is in you. So I just pray for those who um, are facing different challenges, Lord, that they could trust you and, and Lord, experience healing, experience uh, just that hope that comes from you. And, Lord, as we celebrate great things in life, we know it comes from you. Lord, it starts with a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, that brings us um, into just an amazing relationship with you. And, and everything on top of that is blessing after blessing. So we thank you for the many blessings in our lives. And as we have come to worship you this morning, Lord, I just pray that the voices, the instruments, uh, the hands raised would um, just... That would be glorifying to your name. And as we open your word, just thankful for Phil and the message he's prepared. God, we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts, comfort us in our time of need, and um, Lord, uh, draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Matt. In 1988, I was an intern at Rolling Hills Christian Church in Topeka, Kansas. That's where Tina and I's ministry in churches began. I can remember as an intern being asked a question that I had no answer for. And in the years since then, I've been asked the same question probably five times, possibly six that I can remember. And each time it makes me nervous, causes me to shudder a little bit. It's a question that is difficult for anybody to answer, and preachers, ministers want to run from it as well, because it is just hard to acknowledge that there is an answer for it, and it's a difficult answer. More often than not, when people ask this question, they are in the midst of some of the worst times of their lives. They're dealing with things that they never wanted to deal with, things that they never imagined having to deal with, things that are redefining their life. And in the raw moments, they will express the questions that are driving them all the time. This is what that particular question sounds like. There are variations of it. But at the heart of it, this is the question. Is there ever a time that God doesn't answer prayers? Now, it doesn't take people very long in a relationship with Jesus to discover that the Lord typically answers prayers in one of three ways. He answers with a yes, and that's very easy for us to accept. He gives us what we want. He says no. That's very difficult for us to deal with because it confronts our selfishness in ways that we would rather not have it confronted. We want what we want. Or the Lord says, not yet. And that confronts our patience. It is equally difficult for us when the Lord says, not yet. But then there is this moment in time where it appears that God is not answering in any of those ways. And it hurts people. It causes them to wonder. It becomes a crisis of faith. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah felt that way at one point, and he wrote words like this. They are so real. They are so raw. Listen. This is chapter 3, verse 44 of the book Lamentations. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. When people feel that way, that God has wrapped himself in a cloud, and their prayers are not getting through, it will cause them to question everything that they have believed leading up to that moment. 
And when they come to the realization that in fact there is a time when God doesn't answer prayers, it leaves them reeling, spiraling, oftentimes out of control. And until they get their arms around that truth, the spiraling will continue. It's always interesting to me how God will drive points home in my life when I am preparing for certain messages. And This past week, Tina and I were driving down the road when God put a giant exclamation point on the things that I was wrestling with for today's message. And it came in the most unexpected of ways. We were listening to the radio and some of you would think, well, it's the preacher and his wife, so they had to have been listening to Christian radio and probably good preaching. Truth of the matter isn't, we weren't. We were listening to Sirius Satellite and it was on prime country. And that's how God drove this point home. The great theologian Garth Brooks came on the radio and he shared some deep teaching as we were driving. You have probably heard this song at some point. He released it in 1990. And I want you to listen to it this morning, and I want you to pay so close attention that we're actually going to put the words up on the screen so that as you listen, you can read these words. Pay really close attention, will you? Just the other night at a hometown football game my wife and I ran into my own high school flame And as I introduced them, the past came back to me And I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be She was the one that I had wanted for all time and each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if He'd only grant me this wish I'd wish back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Sometimes I thank God. God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. She wasn't quite the angel that I remembered in my dreams. And I could tell the time had changed me in her eyes to it seemed. We tried to talk about the old days There wasn't much we could recall I guess the Lord knows what He's doing after all And as she walked away I looked at my wife And then and there I thanked the good Lord For the gifts in my
music Some of God's greatest gifts Are all too often unanswered Some of God's greatest gifts Are unanswered prayers Let's just take the premise of what Garth was singing about and think about that for just a minute. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. That seems so foreign, so crazy to a lot of people. The fact that there are unanswered prayers is difficult for us to embrace. But then the idea of thanking God for unanswered prayers, again, it just leaves us reeling. How can we get to a place that we can do that. First and foremost, we have to accept that there are unanswered prayers. And the only way that we can thank God for them is not to just look back in hindsight, and that's what Garth was doing, nothing wrong with that, but rather to look ahead, recognizing that the Lord is choosing to not answer some of our prayers, and He is doing that for a reason. Yes is easy to embrace. No can cause a crisis of faith. Not yet can cause us to dig deep into the realm of patience. But unanswered prayers? Wow! According to the song, and according to what we would find in Scripture, should bring about an element of thankfulness in our hearts, in our minds, and in our soul. And I want to show you what I'm talking about this morning. In order to do that, we're going to open to the book of Acts. There are other places we could go. I've chosen this particular passage because it teaches this so very well. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Pay real close attention as we go through this, will you? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now let's stop there for just a second. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. So that's what he's talking about. In the first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? That was their question. That was their prayer. Now listen closely to Jesus' answer. Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now let's go back to verse 7 again. I really want you to see how Jesus answered their prayer. 
He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. In essence, this is exactly what Jesus said. I'm not going to tell you. It's not for you to know. So you can ask as much as you want, but there is no answer coming. He did not say yes. He did not say no. He did not say not yet. Jesus gave them no answer, and he left them dealing with that. Now, in order to really get into this, we have to unpack this passage, starting with what we know about what is going on. All 12 of the apostles were Jewish. They had been waiting for the Messiah. They had been waiting for one to come and sit on a throne. It had been 2,000 years since God had made his promise to Abraham that one of his heirs would sit on a throne over Israel. It had been 1,500 years since Moses had prophesied a deliverer, a ruler. It had been a 1,000 years since David had sat on the throne. That was all laid out in their history. They were fully aware of it because of their Jewish background. They had been waiting on the Messiah. They had been waiting on the Savior. They had been waiting for a king because they were Jewish. They had seen Jesus do remarkable things, not the least of which was walk out of a grave. After the resurrection, the only logical, reasonable thought they could have was that his time had now come to occupy the throne. So this was a legitimate question. For them to say, is this now the time, would have made sense to anybody. Jesus' answer is the most curious part about it. It's not for you to know that. That's not information that you need. That isn't something that should even occupy your mind. You could imagine Jesus saying, well, that's information that's on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know right now. That's pretty much what he was saying. And that causes us then to say, why wouldn't he answer the question? Well, stop and think for just a second, what would have happened if he had answered the question? Now, we don't have the privilege of, of seeing that, so all we have is speculation. All we can do is let our mind kind of run a, a little bit wild. And I did this past week. I looked through all kinds of different translations, and I, I couldn't find anything that answered the question, and I shouldn't have found anything because Jesus never answered it. So that meant that sitting at my computer, I was free to answer it any way I wanted. So I want you to imagine that after Acts chapter 1, verse 7, there is a response from Jesus where he chooses to answer their prayer rather than tell them that he isn't going to. That answer may well have looked like this in the new, easy-to-read translation of the Bible. Take a look. Nope, it's been 2,000 years, and we have at least another 2,000 to go before that'll happen. In those years, the church will be established. It will struggle to accomplish its purpose, but it will do that very thing. The church will carry the gospel to the entire world. It won't always be pretty, but it will work. Now, what would have happened if Jesus had told them that? You can imagine them saying, what? what? 2,000 years this is going to go on? 2,000 years we're going to struggle? 2,000 years before you're going to sit on your throne? Or possibly 3,000 or 4,000? That would have been beyond their comprehension. And if he had filled in other details for them like this, and every one of you are going to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. And it's going to be painful. Every one of you are going to struggle and, and experience things that right now, it would blow your mind to even think of. 
and other believers are going to experience the same thing because they become my followers. They're going to struggle over the course of these 2,000 years in unspeakable ways. If Jesus had filled in all those blanks for them, what would the end result have been? What could have happened? Well, we have no idea because Jesus said, this isn't for you to know. I'm not going to give you that answer. I won't say yes. I won't say no. I won't even say not yet. I'm not going to answer this question at all. So when we take that and we put it together with the idea of people in our world today asking questions just like this, are there ever times when God doesn't answer prayers? And the answer is yes. Just like for the apostles, we would have to ask because it's natural and normal. Why? Why is it that he doesn't answer some of our prayers? Why is it that God doesn't give us the yes or the no? Why does he remain silent? Why does that happen? Well, the best explanation that I have ever found for that question actually comes from a lady named Corey Tenboom in her book, The Hiding Place. In that book, Corey talks about a time that she was traveling home on the train with her father after going on a business trip with him when he purchased a bunch of watches and, and watch parts for his watchmaking business. They were headed home, sitting on the train, when she looked at him and asked him a question that every parent hates to hear. She asked how babies are conceived. Now, parents, if you have young children in your home, I want you to pay attention to this wise man because he's got it pretty well figured out. Here's what happened. This comes right out of the hiding place. He looked at her and, and said, actually, let me back up because we don't have all of this. He actually reached up above him, pulled out a suitcase, and set it in front of his daughter and said, Corey, will you carry this off the train for me? So that's what's going on. So it's full of all of the parts and pieces of watches that he purchased. Will you carry it off the train, Corey, he said. I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with the watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. That's a pretty good answer. That is the same way God would respond to us when we are asking questions that we're not strong enough to receive the answer for. The Lord says, you're going to have to trust me to carry this one for you. Yes, I'm fully aware of how this will play out. I'm fully aware of all of the details of this story, but you're not in a place where you can handle those details. You're not in a place where you can receive this answer. So until that time comes, you're going to have to trust me to carry it for you. All through Scripture, we see that whole idea playing out. We see it evidenced in a number of different places and a number of different ways. One of the ways in the New Testament that it becomes so evident to us is the use of the word mystery. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. Let's go to the book of Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Bible says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, 
assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Several times in just those six verses, Paul would talk about a mystery that is only revealed in certain places, certain people's lives, at certain times. That's how God chooses to do this. There is a mystery attached to the gospel of Jesus that says not only are the Jews going to be saved, but so are the Gentiles. And that's part of the reason back in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus wouldn't answer the question for the apostles. Think about it this way. If he had said, yes, now is the time for me to sit on the throne, salvation would have come to the Jews, to the Israelites, but the Gentiles, most of us, would have never received it. And it wasn't enough for Jesus just to be able to tell the apostles that. He had to allow time to reveal it. He had to allow them to grow up. He had to allow them to get strong enough so that they could understand that. And that is evidenced all the way through the book of Acts. They grow up to a place where they are ready for continued revelation from the Lord. They grew up to a place where they could see the gospel as it was unfolding. And my friends, sometimes the same thing happens in our lives. Sometimes there are mysteries that are at work around us, being orchestrated by God, but we're not at a place that we can receive the answers. So we have to trust. It's a place of faith. It's a place where we rely on the Lord and we turn things over to Him. Now listen to me on this. If you cannot deal with the silence of God, you are not living by faith. You must get to a place. You must get to a place where you can trust the silence of the Lord. It is foundational to faith. If you don't believe me, you need to listen to the writer of Hebrews. Let's go to the 11th chapter. What we know as the faith chapter of the Bible. We're going to start in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the definition of faith. It is the best working definition of faith you will ever find. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of the old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. 
That entire chapter is full of name after name after name of people that did not have all the details. That entire chapter of faith is full of person after person who I am positive prayed, asking God if this is the time or if this is what we're supposed to do. And God did not answer. He didn't. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. These are people who stood on the rock trusting God even in the face of unanswered prayers. And sometimes we have to do the same. Sometimes we will face those things the same way the folks in Hebrews 11 did. The same way Corey Tenboom would approach her father. Our father in heaven has to tell us that until we are older and stronger in our faith, there are certain things that we have to trust him with. We have to let him carry the load. And we have to do it accepting that he does out of love. That's why the Lord sometimes doesn't answer prayers. Because he loves us. Because he knows it's too much for us. Because he knows that we can't handle it. So sometimes God holds back the answer. There is a fourth way that the Lord answers prayer. It's not always yes, no, or not yet. Sometimes the answer is silence. God says nothing. Well, that leaves us then wondering what are we supposed to do when that's the case? How are we supposed to handle that? In order to find that answer, we need to go back to Acts chapter 1. So let's do that together. We already read all of these verses, and so I just want to pick up in verse 8. Right after they asked the question, and Jesus had said, it is not for you to know times or seasons. He goes on to say this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, if we were to paraphrase what Jesus just said to them, it could easily sound like this. You just need to get busy. That's all you need to do. Don't concern yourself with the end result. Don't concern yourself with the answer that is not coming. You just do what I've told you to do. You just be faithful. I'll take care of the rest. I'm holding on to all of the knowledge. I'll take care of the rest. You just do what you're supposed to do. And that is exactly what the apostles did. They went into the upper room and they got busy. They just started doing what they were supposed to. Jesus promised them that the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit does in just a few days after this. But until that time, they busied themselves with the work of the gospel. That's what they were doing. Folks, that's the same thing we're supposed to do. In the absence of an answer, you stay busy doing what God has told you to do. You just be faithful, and God will take care of the rest. He has the privilege of all the details. He knows where this thing is going. So you make sure that you stay in line with Him, doing what He has told you to do, and you let God take care of the rest because He is a loving Father. Anything else is you trying to grab hold of the suitcase and pack it on your own. It's too heavy for you. You can't do it. So just do what God has told you to do. Do what He has instructed you to do. That's your only responsibility in those moments. That and this. You stretch your vision. Now I want to show you why I believe that is so necessary. Acts chapter 1. Watch what happens. 
Picking up verse 10. Well, we'll go back to verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That is the ascension of Jesus into heaven. It is a cool part of the New Testament. Verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So picture this whole thing. Just, just try to imagine it. Here are the apostles. Jesus has just told them, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not going to answer your prayer. A cloud comes down out of the sky, surrounds him, and lifts him up into heaven. And they did exactly what any of us would have done. And if you believe you're different than this, I'm just going to tell you, you're not. This is what we would have all done. And they kept doing it. They kept doing it. They were staring up into the heavens. And God knew that they were going to be confused and confounded by this whole thing, that they were going to stand there just like this, staring into the skies. So did you see what he did? He sent two angels to say, what are you doing? I mean, two angels show up there and said, what are you doing? Quit staring at the heavens. Bring your eyes down because Jesus will come back the same way he left. And all you need to do is stretch your vision forward. That's all you need to do. You look ahead instead of looking up. You look ahead because that's where you're going to find God. In the face of unanswered prayers, we could stand around like this all day long until the point that we get so mad we are screaming into the heavens and it isn't going to do us any good. So you lower your eyes and you stretch your vision forward so that you are looking ahead to whatever it is that God is going to do. And by doing that, you are going to stay on the path that you are supposed to be on. That's the way it works. So you stretch your vision. Eight-year-old boy named Frank been looking forward to a fishing trip with his dad for weeks and weeks and weeks. He'd been pestering his dad, telling him he wanted to go fishing. His dad just was busy and wasn't able to take him. And finally, they had set a date. His dad had told him that on a certain Saturday, just a few weeks away, they were going to spend the entire day fishing. Well, when that day came, Frank got out of bed and it was raining cats and dogs. He was so upset. His dad came to him and said, Frank, it's just not going to be a good day for fishing. We're going to have to do it another time. And Frank's walking around the house, scratching the dirt, kicking the furniture. The dog had to get out of the way. All kinds of different things. Frank was just mad. He'd go to the window and he'd look outside and the rain was still coming and, and it didn't look like it was going to stop. The clouds had set in and it was pouring his mother walked up to him, and little eight-year-old Frank just said, like most of us would, this isn't fair. And she said, well, honey, the, the rains come to water the flowers, and the farmers need rains for their crops. And, and Frank, in an eight-year-old way, said, well, that's all fine, but God should have known that it would have been all right for it to rain yesterday and not today. That's the way eight-year-old boys do it. But... Three o'clock in the afternoon, for whatever reason, the rain stopped and the clouds parted and the sun came out. And Frank's dad came to him and said, Son, there's enough time for us to still go fishing if you want to. And Frank said, Well, of course I do. So they grabbed their gear and they loaded up and headed to the lake as fast as they could. When they got there, the rain had made the fishing just absolutely wonderful and the fish were on the bite and they caught a limit. Headed home with a stringer full of fish and Frank had this amazing afternoon. 
his dad cleaned up the fish and his mom cooked them for dinner and they all sat down around the table and his father said, Frank, would you offer the blessing for the meal? And Frank did. And right at the end of the blessing, he said this, and Lord, if I seemed grumpy earlier today, it's just because I couldn't see far enough ahead. It's pretty good. We get grumpy with God all the time because we can't see far enough ahead and God doesn't give us all the details to see what He's doing and how He's doing it. So we get grumpy and we kick the dirt and we kick the furniture and we scream at God and we say, hey, no fair, when God's saying, you know what, it is fair. The greatest fairness is that I love you enough to not put this on you. So just trust me. Just trust me. That's what we have to do. So get your head out of the the clouds. And look ahead, getting busy doing what God has told you to do. And He will take care of the details. He will take care of the things that you are not privileged to know. You trust Him because it's a place of faith. You trust Him because that's what we all have to do. You trust Him because He loves you. Live by the faith that is required to know that. One of the reasons that I wanted to share this with you this morning has to do with where we're headed in the next several weeks. Next Sunday, we are going to kick off a new campaign in the church called 40 Days of Prayer. Really looking forward to it. We're going to teach you how to pray. We're going to show you the basics of prayer, and we're going to take you on past those so that you can really understand what prayer is all about. But you have to know how the Lord responds to our prayers before we start a study like that. So I wanted you just to have this as a foundation as we get started, but I also wanted to share this with you today because one of the most heartbreaking things in the world for me as a pastor is when people give up on the Lord. When they have asked Him certain questions and they have prayed certain things and God hasn't responded to their prayers, they give up. They walk away. They quit trusting. They take matters into their own hands. And when they do, there are always devastating results that are coming. So I wanted you to know that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. That's hard to say as a minister. It really is. As a person of faith, a person of deep belief in the Lord, as a person who believes in answered prayers, it's hard to say that. But sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because He loves us too much to. He just takes care of what only He can. And we have to trust Him. We have to trust Him in such a way that we expect Him to respond. I want you to know that. Whatever it is that you're facing today, I want you to know that. If you have been praying like Jeremiah in such a way that it feels like God has wrapped Himself in a cloud and and your prayers can't get through, the Lord hears your prayers. He is responding to them. And He may be responding in such love that He's not burdening you with something that you cannot handle. So trust that. Trust that. Rely on that. Appreciate that. And let the the peace of Christ dwell in you richly. And all we have to do is say, Lord, the absence of an answer, I'm going to look down the road as far as I can. I'll be busy doing what I'm supposed to. I'll be faithful. You take care of the rest. This morning I want to give you a chance to bring some of those requests before God if you would like to. Just by responding to this invitation, you can go over to our prayer room door. Matt's going to be there. He'll meet you. He'll pair you up with somebody that will pray with you. 
He'll pair you up with somebody that will help you as you make your way through this. Maybe you just need somebody else to pray, not for an answer, but for the peace of God. You respond to this invitation and let that happen. Let me pray with you first, though. Father in heaven, how you love us is so mind-boggling. Enough to die for us. It begins right there. Well, Father, it even begins before that, enough to create us for fellowship. It's mind-boggling. And then to die for us that we might experience true fellowship with you. Lord, we can't comprehend. Then we think about the ways that you answer our prayers. The yes, Lord, thank you so much for those. The no, thank you so much when you say no because you have something better in mind. Even the not yet, Lord, thank you for those. Give us patience as we head there. Lord, give us faith when there's no answer coming. And allow us to trust you. Like we never have before, allow us to trust you. I know that there are some people that are looking into the heavens right now, baffled by what's going on. I'm praying that this morning they will find faith and trust and hope. I'm praying for all of that. Lord, for those that have huge needs in their life, I pray that they'll find the power of prayer and allow others to join them as they talk to you about whatever it is that's going on in their lives. I pray that today will be the day. In Jesus' name, amen.